Hello, and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. How are you doing? It's summertime. You're probably dealing with a full schedule, aren't we all? Well, you have found some time to listen to this wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and I appreciate that. I hope it's helpful. Please give me some feedback if uh, you have any for me. Would love to hear how this could be more helpful to you. Uh, we're all, of course, limited creatures, but uh, yeah, share your feedback with me, and I'll see if I can adapt in any way to make this more effective for the listening audience. All right, well, we are going to be looking at First Samuel today. Uh, the last episode, we looked at First Samuel chapter 1 and chapter 2, and today we're going to look at uh, mostly chapters 8 and 9, but a little bit of chapter 10. And we're looking at Israel's demand for a king and how they got to uh, the place where they were a nation ruled by a man instead of having God as their king. So uh, let's take a look at this together, starting in 1 Samuel 8. And I'm just going to read the first nine verses of 1 Samuel chapter 8. It says, Now it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. We've heard this story before, right? Uh, a man of God, or a man in a position of leadership at least, has sons that just don't get it. They end up straying and not carrying on a a legacy of godliness. This happened with Aaron, happened with Eli, it happened happens later with David. So it's a theme that you see all throughout Scripture. <clears throat> Samuel has bad sons. All right, verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. That's a great reaction when you hear something you don't like. What, what, what a reaction by Samuel just to go to prayer. I love that. Verse 7, The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are going to to you also, or so they are doing to you also, rather. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. Wow. Okay, here's the... Uh, Here's the stage now. It is set. Uh, God was to be the king over his people Israel, and he says quite plainly, flat out, they have rejected me. These people have just, they've not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me. The people had certain desires that they wanted to be fulfilled. They had their own preferences. They had their own way of, of getting fulfillment as a nation. They were looking around at other nations and saying, ah, that... You know what? This 
this judges stuff, it isn't working. They're looking at Samuel's son saying, well, these losers, they're just a couple of bums. Uh, why, why would we follow these guys? Why would we listen to these guys? Look at uh, Egypt or look at this nation over here. They, they've got kings. They have a single leader, and that's what we should have too. That, that's, that's the ticket. That's how we can turn this thing around. You know, Israel has been just a, a tiny nation uh, for the most part, comparatively speaking, or if not tiny, at some points in their history, they've been a very incapable nation. And we know this is what, what God does, right? When you go to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says that God chooses the weak and the foolish of the world to shame the strong and the wise. Well, he was doing that all the way back with Israel, too. I mean, you've got this, this measly nation, this bumbling nation. And the nation's looking at itself here in 1 Samuel 8 and saying, you know... Um, I know that God hasn't given us a king, and here in a second they're going to hear God's warning about if they get a king. But, you know, I, I really think this is the way. I really think this is what we need to do. That, that's essentially what they're saying to Samuel. That this is what we need to do. This is called uh, pragmatism. That, that's one word for it, where you're not basing your decisions on biblical principles. You're not basing your decision on godly principles or on the revelation of God. But instead, you're saying, based on our wisdom, on our, our knowledge, the best that we can figure out in strategizing and coming up with a plan is this. And I know that it goes against what God has for us, but this is going to work. <laughs> and isn't that such a stupid thing to say to yourself? I know this goes against what God has said, but I think it's going to work. Wow. So, so Samuel goes on to give them a warning. Uh, let me turn back over here. And he gives them a warning. Uh, you, you see the heading here, warning concerning a king. Why isn't concerning capitalized? <gasps> I think we may have found a typo in at least this online version of the NASB 1995. Concerning should be capitalized. I got distracted. All right, I, I shouldn't be looking. I shouldn't be, <laughs> I shouldn't be editing the headings. Okay, Um he gives a warning. Samuel gives a warning to the people saying, look, it's going to be really bad for you if you uh, want a king. He, uh, he, he's actually going to abuse you. I love verse 15. He, he's going to take 10% of your stuff and, and keep it for the government, for his officials, his officers, and his servants. Uh, he's going to take a tenth of your stuff, a tenth of your flocks. And wow, man, 10%. Those days are long gone in America, aren't they? We give way more than 10% to our government. Well, let's drop down to verse 19. After Samuel gives them this warning, it says, Nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, No. <laughs> oh, so again, so stupid. How foolish is this? You know, Samuel is out there as a prophet of God warning, saying, no, that don't do this. Here's what's going to happen. A, B, C, X, Y, Z. These are the issues at play. And here's what God says is going to happen. And he gives this speech. And they say, no, there's, there's going to be a king over us. That, that's what we want. <laughs> Verse 20 that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Okay, 
Verse 21, now after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king. So Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. Despite this desire for a king being wrong, not just the action of, of getting a king, but the desire for a king is wrong. And I think that's an important point to make here. Uh, just the fact that the nation wanted a human king over them, that they were rejecting God as their king, even if they never would have approached Samuel and said, give us a king, that desire that they had in their heart, that was wrong. Okay, And God sees the heart. We learned that in 1 Samuel 16. God doesn't look as man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. So just that desire to want a king in place of God was wrong. But anyway, after Samuel says, here are the reasons why you shouldn't have a king, they said, nah, we're going to trust ourselves on this one, Samuel. I know you're a prophet, and I know God's speaking through you, but uh, we're, we're going to go with our own reasoning on this one. And uh, I've covered in this series why that is such a bad idea multiple times, that w- we should not trust in our own reasoning. Yet that's what they were doing. That's exactly what the nation of Israel was doing, was trusting in themselves more than the voice of God through his prophet. Well, now let's go to uh, chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. This is the very next thing that happens. It says, Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath, the son of Aphia, the, uh, the son of a Benjamite. A mighty man of valor. Okay, you got lost with all those names. There's a guy named Kish. He was a mighty man of valor. There you go, from the tribe of Benjamin. And he had a son. Kish had a son whose name was Saul. He was a choice and handsome man. Aren't these interesting adjectives? He was a choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. So we just uh, picked up a few notes here about the person Saul. He was choice and handsome. Uh, I think those are both getting at the same thing. He, uh, he was a, a beautiful guy. So he, he was the Brad Pitt of the Benjamites. Benjaminites. Uh, and he was tall. So he was the Shaquille O'Neal with Brad Pitt's face. Boy, that, that'll just do something weird in your head as you're trying to picture that, of the, of the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, again, you know, as man looks on the outside, the fellow Israelites here eventually are going to look at him and say, whoa, yeah, okay, he looks like a good leader. He, he, he seems great. Well, uh, this, this man is going to be their leader. Um, so let's, let's drop down to that part. It starts in verse uh, 15, really, here. It says, God's choice for king. That's, that's the heading this time, with choice capitalized. Concerning was not capitalized in the last chapter, and I find that to be concerning. All right, 1 Samuel 9, 15. Now a day before Saul's coming, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel, saying, About this time tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. And he will deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have regarded my people, because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul... (laughs) Say that ten times fast. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, 
Behold, the man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall rule over my people. So now it's been made plain to Samuel who is to be king. Here he is, Saul. Uh, God is giving the people what they want. I find that to be fascinating. It's extremely interesting that God heard the cry of his people. He's going to say, okay, uh, give him a king. Here we go. But not just because he's like, I don't know. We, we, we do really bad when we think of God in human terms. So, so don't think of it as, you know, God got really tired of fighting with Israel or that Israel wore him down or, or anything like that. But think of it like this. God loves this nation. Okay? They're not his enemy. Israel is the nation that God formed and fashioned, and he loves this nation. He has a future for this nation, a future and a hope. And he cares about their cry even when they're rebellious. And so he says, I've heard their cry. Here we go. We're going to give him a king. And it's not that they changed his mind. God's not on board and saying, you know, you guys might be right. Maybe you should get a king. It's not that at all. But simultaneously, God knows this plan is is bad. Bad things are going to happen. He didn't He didn't set up the system to work this way. Yet, he's giving them what they've asked for because he's heard their cry. He's responding to them and giving them what they've asked for. And that's an amazing tension to hold, and theologically that can put us in a brain pretzel. But that's what's happening. God loves this nation, and he's giving them what they want, and they're going to to suffer the consequences of this. He says, okay, you you trust in your own reasoning? Here you go. And he's going to you know, be disciplining his nation as he's done many times in the past up to this point, and he will continue to do that for centuries to come in Israel. And uh, he's, he's giving them what they want. So let's, uh, let's jump over. Let me pull up chapter 10. Now we see God's choice clearly made, uh, Saul, and there is a, um, an anointing ceremony that takes place. Let's go chapter 10, verse 17. Saul publicly chosen king. Therefore, or thereafter, rather, verse 17, thereafter Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah. And he said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought Israel up from Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But you have today rejected your God who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. Yet you have said, No, but set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Samuel says it pretty plainly here, doesn't he? Verse 19, You have today rejected your God. He's the one who delivers you from all your calamities and your distresses. Yet you have said no. No. You've said no. But set a king over us. We want a king other than God. Wow. And so uh, they get their king. They get Saul, their king. This is the part where he was hiding in the baggage. I think that's a pretty funny scene amongst this terrible choice that Israel's making. And uh and they get their king. They get Saul. 
And now they're told by God to to follow their king. They've gotten what they've wanted. And if you're going to have a king, well, you, you better follow him, especially when God has picked him out. God has hand-selected him and said, he's the one. So now they will be in disobedience to God if they don't follow the king. Getting the king in the first place was rebellion to God. They're rejecting God, saying, we want a king over us. But now that God has said, okay, this is your king, they have to follow him. They have to submit, despite all the bad things that are going to happen now. He's going to take their flocks, their herds, the, the vegetation. He's going to lead them into battle, and that's what they're going to have to deal with now. But Israel's very excited. Um, we see here in the, uh, the, the passage that they're sh- shouting, Long live the king, and, and they are totally on board with this. And uh, this begins a new, new era for Israel. I mean, quite, quite literally, this is a new era. You know, the book uh, before this was the book of Judges. Well, not right before 1 Samuel. You had Ruth, and then before that was the book of Judges. And that's what Israel had been dealing with up until this point. As a nation in their land, God had given them the system of government of judges. Well, now a new system of government has replaced that, this system of kings. And from this point forward, we're going to be talking about a a different kind of leadership in this nation. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that it, it starts going well, and then it gets really bad. So we'll walk through that in the coming weeks. Well, um, just as we close today, a a couple of application questions, okay? As you consider what you desire in life, are you looking to God or to man? Is your allegiance to God and what He has said and obeying His command and following His instruction and believing the truth that He has revealed, is that your priority? Or do you have an allegiance that supersedes that in, in your life? Israel here obviously had an allegiance that superseded God's revelation and God's command. Uh, I think you could fairly say that their own wisdom was their priority. Their, their top allegiance was to their own strategy. You could say that uh, their own reasoning, their own reasoning was their God. And they were committed to following their own reasoning regardless of what God had said. I mean, did you see that in in the story today? Regardless of what God has said, regardless of what his prophet was telling them, they said, ah, we're going to go with, we're going to go with our guts on this one. Bad call. If you got a bad gut, that's a bad call. And Israel had a bad gut. What's your ultimate desire? You see uh, Israel here, desired something that wasn't necessarily bad. They wanted stability. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 8, what we looked at, the elders of Israel come to Samuel and say, hey, you're getting old and your sons stink. we we got to change something here. And they wanted stability, and they're looking around at other nations, and the other nations seemed fairly stable, that they were pretty well off, they were doing all right, and Israel wanted that. Well, to to want stability is a good thing, Okay. But to want stability at the expense of obedience is bad. To say, I'm going to get this stability in my life even though I'm going to have to disobey the Lord to get there. I think once I get there and God sees me in that stable position in life, 
when God finds me in my stable place that I got to through my own reasoning, then he'll say it is okay. He'll, he'll look at that and say, that's fine. You know what? You're right. You did end up in a good place in life. Uh, and so it's no big deal. I'm just glad you're happy. Sometimes we think God treats us that way, don't we? That is not how God treats his children. When God expects his children to obey his command. And that's a big theme, of course, in the book of 1 Samuel. You see a couple times where Saul messes up. He, he just totally disregards what Samuel has said because he's doing something that he thinks is right. That's why we get the, uh, the verse, to obey is better than sacrifice. You know, there was one point where Samuel told Saul, hey, wait for seven days. I'll be back in seven days. And when I come back, I'll make the sacrifice. Well, seven days had passed and Samuel wasn't back and Saul was looking around and the people were starting to disperse. They, they were kind of done waiting. And Saul says, wait, 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 let everybody come back. We're, we're, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and make this sacrifice. And he makes the sacrifice. And right when he's done, Samuel walks up and says, what are you doing? And Saul, of course, you know, tries to rationalize the whole thing. And if you were there, if it was you, you'd be saying, well, yeah, you know, the people were leaving Samuel and I had to do something to kind of keep everybody together. They were waiting for so long and, I, you know, I, we just need to move things along. Do you expect Samuel to say, oh, okay, okay I get it. No big deal. That's not what Samuel says. Samuel gave him a direct command. When the Lord gives us direct commands through the prophets who have written Scripture for us, when, when we read the, the very words of God out of the Bible, our response needs to be, I will follow you, Lord. I will submit to you, Lord. Not, ah, you know what? I've got a better idea, God, and I think, I think, you'll, I think you'll agree with me once you see the result of this. Saul could look around and say, see, look, I kept these people together. They're not bored anymore. They're not ready to go home. We had a sacrifice. And look, look, they're over there talking and drinking and eating. Everybody's happy. And you think God's going to say, oh, wow. Yeah, you were right. Heaven forbid. So in your life, spiritually speaking, there are choices that you can make that will lead to stability in your life that will make your parents happy, that'll make your spouse happy, that'll make your children happy, that'll make other people happy. There are certainly choices you can make that will be pragmatic and strategic and based on your own reasoning. Now, is your priority, is your ultimate desire to have those things that create stability for you? Or is your desire to obey? Because so often, what God calls us to do creates instability in life. It creates tension. It creates awkward situations. It, it causes people to be at odds with one another, and it kind of throws everything off. But if you're ultimately desiring obedience, you're willing to go there for God's sake, for the sake of his name and for his glory. And lastly, um, let me just ask you this. Who would you rather have? Would you rather have God or fill in the blank? Maybe someone came to mind when I started to ask that question. Would you rather have God or a king in Israel's case, right? A human king. Would you rather have God or 
these people who create stability in my life. Our call from God is to desire him more than anyone else, to have a desire for him that supersedes all other desires in our lives. That's what God calls us to. Are you willing? Do you believe God? Do you trust God? Are you willing to go where he says to go? All right, we'll leave it at that today. Thanks for listening. And again, give me feedback if you have anything for me. Uh, It's a, a, a pleasure. It's a real joy for me to do these, and I hope they're helpful. God bless.